Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. Welcome back to the Good Fight Radio Show. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And with me, as always, is the president and founder of Good Fight Ministries and pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, Pastor Joe Schimmel. How are we doing today? Doing great. Rejoicing that we get to minister together and excited about the show to get together with our brothers and sisters in Jesus. Hey, man, it is nice. I know we had a little bit of a time off. Um, not Neither one of us took time off. We are out ministering. You were working on the Marvel video and... Myself, I was out in Costa Rica, and now we're back and more regularly getting back to this and hopefully getting that Marvel video done pretty soon for you guys, too. So please keep that in prayer. But we are talking about Marvel DC. We're dealing with Justice League, which is a huge movie. Saturday's four-hour-plus cut now, uh, which a team of, you know, just like the X-Men and Marvel or the Fantastic Four or the Avengers, you have the Justice League, Batman, Wonder Woman, Superman, all fighting this cosmic threat from outer space. Dark side who represents, as you'll see, Jesus, just as Thanos did for Marvel. And we got Suicide Squad coming out soon. They got uh, yeah. Black Widow coming out soon. The character is getting more darker and darker as yeah. the frog in the pot. Yeah, no, it's true. And so we're we're excited about those things. And what happened was we we got someone that wrote a comment specifically on the Bible on our interview we did with Elisa Childers, where we talked about scripture. We talked a lot about deconstructionism and liberal. No, I should say liberal Christianity, but nonetheless, we got a comment on something where somebody basically was asking specifically about the Word of God. And you know what? I'll read it so you guys can hear it. It says, it's interesting when she brought up not being able to explain why the Bible is true. And the only answer she could give is because it just is. I'm also at that point right now. People ask me all the time, but that is the only answer I know to give. So what we're trying to do here, and I, th- I think we're going to start continuing to do this in multiple episodes upcoming is just giving some different reasons and the evidence for believing specifically in the Bible as the Word of God. Last episode, we talked about demonic activity and how this points to it. We've talked about Jesus Christ being prophesied clearly in Scripture. And specifically, when we think about Jesus, he's the only one who resurrected, did it in a public square, uh, so and so forth, without a doubt, resurrected, died, predicted that he would die, and predicted he would raise again, did it, and then tells us that these very words that we read from the Bible are true. So I do take his witness as authority on the subject. But nonetheless, we also want to deal with specifically the reason that we believe, well, not really the reason, we wonder why so many get away from and underutilize the witness of the prophetic in the scriptures as a tool for evangelism and and also for apologetics. So we want to deal with that. And specifically, last time we dealt with as much as we could, because we talked a lot and we talked real fast, but we we talked about Daniel, we talked about demonic activity, we talked about Jesus uh, being resurrected, we talked about typology, but now we're going to go and specifically, instead of doing more of a forest, let's get to a tree, and the tree we want to talk about is Israel. How does Israel prove that the Bible is the Word of God? Well, huh. uh, it's interesting that you use the, the, the metaphor of a tree, uh, especially when you think of the fig tree and it blossoming in the Olivet Discourse. Uh, 
whether you believe that refers to Israel or just the prophecies in general, uh, when you see that they bl- they blossom, or you know that summer is near, when you see these things happen to pe- come to pass, you know that the end is near. I believe Israel, at the very least, is part of that because Jesus says right before that that not one stone would be resting on another; it's going to be destroyed. And it was about forty years after he made that prophecy. Yet he talked about and implied that it would be rebuilt because he talked about how the abomination of desolation would be standing in the holy place. And he made that subsequent very clearly when you see Luke show there's a division between the signs that lead up to the destruction of Jerusalem and the signs that are subsequent to that, which lead to the abomination of desolation, which is future. So Jesus, uh, and we see very clearly in Daniel chapter 9, we just talked about there'll be a rebuilt temple. We also see in Revelation chapter 12 where the temple is uh, you know, measured and so forth, uh, the, the grounds of the temple, not measured in the outer court, though, uh, and the Antichrist, again, in association with the temple, and Israel being regathered because the woman, which represents Israel, the sun, the moon, and the stars, in Revelation, I'm sorry, Revelation 12.1, she flees into the wilderness, and then subsequently, uh, the Antichrist attacks those who bear the name of Jesus. So this, it's quite amazing when you look at these prophecies about Israel in the end times. Uh, one of the things that floored me, and we, we, won't, we won't retrace our testimonies, Chad, but we gave them in our last uh, little quick versions of them in our last episode and tying them together with Bible prophecy and how we knew when it was revealed, wow, this is the God of of creation because he's revealed the end from the beginning. Uh, what really astonished me, uh, especially growing up in a, in a household where uh, one of my parents was, uh, you know, my dad, who's since passed. But when I was young, especially when he was drinking a lot, uh, he became very anti-Semitic, you know. Uh, that was the his basically the target of a lot of his uh, diatribe was the Jews. And it was very uh, painful hearing that growing up. Not even my whole understanding of the Jews was from what I hear from him. But I knew when he was in that drunken stupor, uh, his judgment was off. So I didn't know what to think of who or what, you know. Uh, and, uh, you know, subsequent uh, to that, eventually he ended up professing Christ. And he even came to the conviction that he was maybe Jewish <laughs> because of his background, you know, and uh, ancestry. And our name, Schimmel, is a German name, but taken by a lot of Jews in those days. And a lot of the Jews that took that name were from an area where ancestry is from. So he, at times, would say, you know, we could be Jewish, <laughs> which for him was like, he was like, oh, for me, I was like, oh, that'd be cool, you know. Uh, but it was kind of interesting because I began to use prophecy to witness to him regarding the Jews. And I said, Dad, you know how you said, well, how come the Jews, he'd say, how come the Jews are hated everywhere? How come wherever they go? I go, oh, it's kind of interesting you say that because in Ezekiel, it's also in Jeremiah, there's prophecies that talk about how they would be a reproach wherever they went, how they would be rejected and, and how they'd be scorned and so forth, wherever they would, would set their feet. And it's quite fascinating. I was going to quote one of those, but uh, it's just quite interesting. And I'd show him, like, hey, Dad, I go, just what you said? He goes, well, they got all this money and, you know, and they, I go, yeah, it says in Deuteronomy, when I give you all this wealth, don't abuse it. I said, many of they rejected Messiah, they've, but God's disciplining them. He's going to bring them back to the land. And he's got a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their forefathers. And we're all sinners, not just them, all of us, Dad. And I just would share prophecy with him. And it would even, you know, sometimes when he's drinking too much, you know, uh, you know, he wouldn't really listen very well. But I'd explain it. Usually I'd wait until he was sober. And oftentimes I didn't, you know, I'd get into when he's drinking. Not always wise, guys. Uh, but I'd share these prophecies with him. And he was dumbfounded. He was, he'd look at them, he'd, he'd listen, and then he'd be speechless because he couldn't argue against them. 
And uh, it's so amazing because I show them one after another. But this is what the God of the Bible says. That he proves that he's the one true God because his experience, his own personal experiences, whatever they were, whatever he went through with whoever, or I, sometimes I thought it was just simply spiritual. It was almost like there was a presence that came over him. And he'd have this just anger. And I think it is, I, I thought for sure it was spiritual, at least to a degree. But what blew me away was when I was a new Christian, I began to read, wow, that the Messiah is a Jew and he was promised the promised seed to come that would give his life for us. And this book is written by all by Jews. And the very ones that rejected him, the Jews, it would prophesy that they would, but the same ones that accepted him were Jews as well at first. And then all Israel will be converted. So as we began, I look at these prophecies like, wow, it says, it gives the history of Israel in advance. That's what the Lord says in Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Listen to this. Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring, there's no one like me, he says, declaring the end from the beginning. I love this. It's Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. And from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Not only this is he omniscient, but he's the one that's ultimately in control. Yeah, we improvise. People can rebel against his will. He allows that to a degree, but he ultimately oversees everything. He actually orchestrates history and its ultimate end. And it's interesting because in Isaiah 44, 6, uh, before that, in verse 6, he says, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last. Beside me there is no God. And he goes on to say this, Who is like me? Let him proclaim and declare it. Yes, let him recount it to me in order. In order, I mean, come on, tell me. Let me let me see in order what's happened and what's going to happen from the time that I established the ancient nation. Come on, Israel. That's context in these chapters, and let them declare to them the things that are coming and the events that are going to take place. So, brothers and sisters, he's saying, "Hey, I tell the end from the beginning. I've got it down. I'm God. There's no one like me, you know." But then he says that the idol gods they can't do this. And I gave a message on this in depth a few months ago when the rockets, a couple months ago when the rockets were hitting. Then I gave another one that used a lot of different scripture a couple weeks back if you want to get in depth into this. But some of the scriptures, for instance, I didn't share this scripture. Listen to what he says regarding the false gods and how they are inept. How they can't, that these, these, they're prophets, they're diviners, they're astrologers, you know, that they're unable to tell you about the future and they can't even deliver themselves from the coming judgment that God's bringing. Uh, and, and we see this lament against Babylon in Isaiah chapter 47. And we read this, listen. He says, stand fast now in your spells. It's rhetorical. It's, this is smack talk from God against the, the demons and the false gods and the, the demon gods and, and, and their diviners and the, the false prophets. Stand fast in your spells and in your many sorceries with which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you will be able to profit. Perhaps you can cause trembling. You are wearied with your many counsels. Let now your astrologers, those who prophesy by the stars, those who predict by the new moons, stand up and save you from what is to come upon you. Then he says, behold, they have become like stubble. Fire burns them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. There will be no coal to warm by, nor a fire to sit before. You have the, now it says, so have those become to you with whom you have labored because they've been trafficking in demonism with false gods the powers of darkness, who have trafficked with you from your youth. Each has wandered in his own way. There is none to save you. And that's basically applies to all the new spirituality with all these, you know, whether it's Nostradamus later in the new spirituality now with the New Age movement and, you know, the the, the, the 
current Gene Dixons. He was a popular psychic when I was young. And you see these psychics, you know, they'll they'll go through their thousand plus prophecies and they'll try to find one or two because you're random. You're going to even a, a blind squirrel, right? It's going to get an acorn eventually, right? <laughs> uh, they'll get one or two out of a thousand. And it's like, well, that's kind of ambiguous, you know? Sometimes they'll say things on both side, out of both sides of their mouth so they're covered one way or another. But it's interesting. By the way, it talks about the, the irony here is this passage in Isaiah about false prophets and how they can't tell the end from the beginning. False prophets even use this. The guy who did the movie The Omen, okay, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on his name right now. It doesn't, it's not really important, but oh, The Omen was a popular movie about the Antichrist when I was a kid. And it was a, it was a big deal, you know, in the world. And uh, it wasn't very accurate, but it had the, the, the Antichrist being born and so forth. And it was just real spooky. That guy tried to come out with a TV series a few years back, and he used this passage. But you know how he used this passage? First, he said, we're supposed to go fight. He had the character saying, we're supposed to go to the wilderness to see the Messiah. Like, that's not biblical. That's what Jesus warned against. And then it has one of, who's supposed to be a good guy, I think it was a gal, quoting this. Look what it says in Isaiah. We're supposed to listen to the astrologers. We're supposed to, I'm like, no, that's not what he's saying. Totally turn on his head and take it out of context, which is what Satan does. And I had a little expose I had done on that, but we never put it out because that thing just petered out and didn't become anything. But <laughs> here the Lord gives his smackdown against the false prophets that they can't tell the end from the beginning. But he says, he even tells the future of his, of his special nation, you know? In fact, he says in Isaiah 43.10, and that's one of my favorite verses there, it's great for Mormons uh, who believe that there's many gods and there's a progression of gods, uh, that there's only one true God. But it's also great because Israel is his witness and how Israel became a nation, how they ceased to be a nation, how they were dispersed into Syria, then Babylon, then throughout all the world, which they are, was all prophesied beforehand, how they'd reject the Messiah and there'd be a greater uh, dispersal uh, and and so forth. It's all in there, you know, and and beyond that, I mean, there's so many uh, prophecies where he says, you are my witnesses. Israel is his exhibit A, that he's the true God. He says, you're my witnesses, my servant who I have chosen, that may know you may know and believe me and understand that I am he, and that before me there was no God for me, neither shall there be after me. Israel, you're my witness. You know? And it's in the context, 43 through 49, of Isaiah, chapter 42, actually, through 49, that he is the great I am, that he tells the end uh, from the beginning. And he said that they would cease to be a nation again, that they would reject Messiah, chapter 53, a little bit later, after that. And even the beginning of Israel, sometimes we overlook the fact that Abraham, Abraham's name was not always Abraham. It was Abraham. Why was his name changed to Abraham? It means he'd be the father of many people, nations. right? Many nations. And uh, his descendants would be like the sand of the sea, meaning innumerable. And can you imagine that? You know, he's leaving with Sarah saying, hey, God told me I'm going to be the father of many nations. We're supposed to leave the land of Ur, with a place where we have these ancient hot tubs a place of luxury for a lot of people back then. We're talking 4,000 years ago. And he, he's, he told me, I'm going to come into this land, the land of Canaan and so forth. Eventually our people will be there and what's going to happen. And I'm going to be the father of many nations. And he, he wants me to call, be called Abraham now. So call me Abraham, you know. It means father. And, and he can't have a baby. His, he's like, you know, 100 years old. His wife's 90. He looks like a false prophet. Now you look at the, the Jews. You look at the Christians. The Bible says that we are joint heirs with the Jews and children of Abraham through faith, Galatians chapter 3. Uh, and there'll be so many saved, a great multitude that no man can number in, in uh, Revelation chapter 7, like the sand of the sea, like the stars of the sky. Can't really number them. 
We have so many believers. So there's so much wonderful evidence. Now, what blows me away is when you look at Luke chapter 21, let me read this briefly. Uh, He says, Woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress upon the land and wrath to this people. Now, this is a type of picture of what's going to happen at the very end during the uh, tribulation period. But here he's talking about wrath upon this people. God's wrath would be poured out on Jerusalem because they had rejected the Messiah uh, prior to the very end coming. And then in verse 24, Jesus says, and they will be, they will fall by the edge of the sword. Man, you've, you've read Josephus where he talks about what happened there. It was oh, yeah. horrific, man, the Josephus' wars and what happened in 60, 70, or I should say 70, 80, and actually prior to that, the years prior to that. Uh, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So it'll be led captive into all the nations. So this isn't just Assyria. This isn't just Babylon. They'd be captive in all the nations. And that's where the Jews are to this day. And then Jesus said they would come back. And he said eventually the temple, uh, he indicates, would be rebuilt. We've already looked at that a little bit. But he said Jerusalem would be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Chad, you've been to Israel with us on Israel trips. When you go to the Temple Mount, what do we see? That's the Alaska Mosque there, the uh, the mosque there with the with the, I guess you would call them the the Ishmaelites there yeah. with Gentiles, uh, yeah, with Gentiles. The the Muslims there own that entire area, and Jews aren't even allowed up there on the Temple Mount. That's correct, and it's interesting because this was a mass diaspora, and it's also interesting that we read uh, they'd be scattered more than once. And I'm not going to go through those prophecies because I know we're going to run out of time. But he says in Isaiah 43 8 and 9. Bring out the people who are blind, even those who have eyes, and the deaf, even those who have ears. All the nations have gathered together so that the people may be assembled. Who among them can declare this and proclaim to us the former things? Let them present their witness, that they may be justified. So he's talking about the past things and the future things, which is just so amazing. Now, one of the things that really blows me away about this is he prophesies that these things would take place in the last days, as well as far as the ultimate Israel becoming a nation again. Isaiah chapter 38, verses 14 and 15, he says, My people Israel, like a cloud, will cover the land. It shall come about in the last days. So they're supposed to become a nation again in the last days. Well, 1948, May 14, 1948, they became a nation again. Ezekiel 38, 8, After many days you will be summoned. In the latter years you will come into the land that is restored from the sword. He's talking about those Gog and Magog that will come up against him. A land that's been restored from the sword. That's Israel if it's any nation. And then he describes a bunch of nations that are Muslim nations now who want to come against Israel. But this is what's fascinating to me. Is it wasn't like Christians just looked and said, oh, you know what, this, I'm going to fit this prophecy into this thing. I'm going to fit this thing into this prophecy. No, Christian theologians for years were saying this has to happen because the Bible is the word of God. Before, and even though it looked ridiculous what they were saying, okay? Because, not because these guys were prophets, but because they were testifying to the, to the word of God, which is prophetic. 1789, folks, okay? This is about, you know, are you talking 1889, 1989? You're talking about 150 years before Israel became a nation again, about Elohan Winchester, okay? He made this statement 150 years or so before Israel became a country again in his course of lectures on prophecies. And he states this. He goes, uh, and I think this is amazing. Nothing, nothing need to be more plainly declared than this, he writes. Nothing. That the Jews shall certainly return to and possess their own land again, notwithstanding their long captivity and utter dispersion. Okay? 
Moses, that great prophet, spoke of these things in sundry places and expressly uh, declared that they should take place in the latter days. And he gives different scriptures. William Blackstone in 1878, okay, actually just prior to the other gentleman, he writes, I don't believe that the Israelites are to be, I'm sorry, I don't believe, he's saying what some people say, I don't believe that the Israelites are to be restored to Canaan and Jerusalem rebuilt. Dear reader, have you read the declarations of God's word about it? Surely nothing is more plainly stated in Scripture. That's 162 of his book, uh, Jesus is Coming. Now, this blows me away because these guys are saying, because others are saying, oh, I don't think the Bible must really teach that. And he's saying, no. And notice that both those gentlemen both said there's nothing clearer in Scripture than the <laughs> fact that they're going to become a nation again. Yeah. And when you think about it in the context of what happened to the Jews just prior to them becoming a nation, when the Nazis went into 20 different countries, including the Middle East, with Muslims doing the Heil Hitler deal uh, and trying to help them round up Jews to exterminate every last Jew if possible. Against all odds, Israel not only survived that by God using the other nations, right? But it was subsequent to that where the nations got a change of heart and Israel became a nation again. And I shared another uh, message I did on this where it talks about how, you know, God would use the Gentiles. And we talk about... I talk about my own experience being in Israel with Ted Walker and there at Haifa, at the port of Haifa, on a ship with a uh, family and reading to them, Bible, telling them Bible prophecies said that we Gentiles will be used by God to bring you back into the land. And the Gentiles had used these ships to bring them from Russia. These are Russian Jews. We're sharing with them. Ted Walker gets a picture of one of the gals on his back and he shares the prophecy that, hey, says the Gentiles will carry you on their backs to bring you back in land. And they got a picture. Well, guess what? These non-believing Jews, Ted had texted me. This is beautiful, guys. Ted texted me, I don't know, a couple months ago on this. And he said, Joe, he was so excited because when he was ministering, he ran into some Jews who'd become, uh, who got saved. They're Messianic Jews now. And they recognized each other from the ship. And those were the ones we took the picture of with the little girl on his back, sharing the prophecies with them. Okay, come on, guys. doesn't get better than this, man, until Jesus comes, right? Uh, it's just amazing. Charles Spurgeon. Uh, in 1855, okay, 100 years uh, before Israel becomes a nation, almost, he writes this, had these words to say concerning the uh, return of the Jews to their ancient homeland, uh, not long shall uh, it ere be that they, the Jews he's talking about, shall come, and they shall come from distant lands. He's saying it's going to happen, okay, wherever they rest or roam. And uh, she who has been off scouring of all things, meaning they've been rejected, whose name has been a proverb and a byword, which is what the Bible says would happen, and they became a byword to my own beloved dad. And thankfully, he, you know, professed Christ later, shall become the glory of all lands. Wow. Dejected Zion shall raise her head, shaking herself from the dust and darkness and from the dead. Then shall the Lord, shall he feed his people and make them and the places around them a blessing. And by the way, now you look at Israel, you look at it from an aerial map, from uh, look up Israel from a satellite map, and you'll see all the desert around them. All these other nations are desert, but there's this one pocket of green and they're a blessing and they, they produce all kinds of beautiful things. Uh, and it goes on to say, we do not think enough of it. Spurgeon says, we don't think enough of it. He says, I think we do not attach sufficient importance to the restoration of the Jews. He's talking long before it happened, right? He says, we don't think enough of it, but certainly if there's anything promised in the Bible. Now, these guys seem like they're just repeating each other, man. He says, if there's anything promised in the Bible, it is this. I imagine that you cannot read the Bible without seeing clearly that there is to be an actual restoration of the children of Israel. 
Thither shall they go up and shall come with weeping unto Zion, he's quoted scripture, and with supplications into Jerusalem. That's page 382 of uh, the Metropolitan Pul- uh, Tabernacle Pulpit, uh, number one, uh, or Pulpit one, number 28. Now, I quoted three different authors prior years prior to Israel becoming a nation. I have a book in my library uh, by Alexander Reese called The Approaching Advent of Christ. It's about Christ's second coming. And I remember reading that, not knowing that that same statement's made in there. And I'm reading it, and it's about the, the, the Lord's coming and the rapture. Beautiful book. And uh, on the timing of his rapture, his post-trib perspective, he was a pre-trib Presbyterian, which I thought was interesting, who was converted over to the post-trib side. And I'm reading that book, and he says, Israel has to become a nation again to fulfill prophecy. But when you think about it, there's been hundreds of nations, guys. There's not a name a nation that hasn't been a nation for hundreds of years and then became a nation again. It has all these prophecies about it. You can't find it. But the one nation that has all these prophecies about it and details about them being rejected, them being hated around the world, them becoming a nation again, and then the fact that they become a world power, Chad, right? I know. I mean, they be, they're one of the world powers right now. <laughs> it's the size of, like, New Jersey. Size of and, New Jersey, that's and, right. And, and you think about it, and you're looking at all this, you're like, well, why Israel, why Israel? And the fact is, is that the Messiah would come through that's right israel so these prophecies are not just oh i'm going to throw a random you know thing out there god had a purpose through all of these things and and he has he's not done with israel either and it's so interesting you're reading guys like spurgeon and, and somebody who was a, a former presbyterian i don't know if he stayed a presbyterian or not i mean pre-trip presbyterian bad enough i mean it's kind of weird you know because <laughs> typically you're all mill well john MacArthur's a pre-trip calvinist so yeah suppose. he's a pre-trip calvinist so yeah yeah then you got dallas theological seminary over there but but nonetheless, it's so interesting when you think about it that way and you see all these guys and, you know, you see the, you know, even the J.C. Riles as well that, that speaks the yeah. same kind of language towards Israel. And yeah. a lot of these but guys. God has sustained them much like what Mark Twain had said. Yeah. And when we talk about, hey, why does, why does prophecy, why is it not being utilized as it should be? Uh, you know, in all honesty, and I love my many of my Calvinistic brethren, but a lot of those big giant movements, like with the Presbyterian movements, and so they're all mill. You love uh, all your Calvinistic brethren, brother. I do. I, yeah, I, I say some. Yeah. I'm sorry about Just that. So you don't get yeah, a yeah. nasty email. <laughs> my one that you don't love. <laughs> no, yeah, no, amen. I mean, as long as you're my brother, uh, but but or sister in Christ, but but nonetheless, and we love you if you're not a brother and sister. The too. the prophetic movement when it comes to not you know we have prophets today speaking you know all these things, but in terms of caring about biblical prophecy and what it said in the past and what it says going forward as well. A lot of those are the ones where I, w- I can listen to video after video after video, and a lot of that stuff, it's not talking about this as much. Maybe some Isaiah 53 stuff, yeah. but um, a lot of times it gets away from these things, you know, and it's sad it's because it is mind-boggling. And guys like Spurgeon, who they'd consider, you know, I'm sure he'd be on the Mount Rushmore uh, for the Calvinists. Yeah. And uh, you see what he's saying. And Ry- Until they hear his Armenian well. sermons. They don't like yeah, those. Yeah, that, but he actually teaches that, you know, God wants us to save everybody. Yeah, yeah, that that's true. But but nonetheless, I think one of the most important things if you if you're getting anything out of this is just the fact that God's word is true without a doubt because he tells you, he gives you the hallmark as he said, look at Israel, look at my look at me. I am the God that tells the end from the beginning. I'm the yeah. only one who can do this. We didn't even get into appointing Cyrus as his shepherd in Isaiah 44, yeah. which is once again about Israel. Yeah. Once again about Israel being, having someone that God appoints and using a pagan 
literally mm-hmm. to get Israel out of the captivity that God allowed them to go in and put them in because of their waywardness and because of their wickedness. And it was false prophets saying they would not get into it like Hananiah, but Jeremiah as a true prophet of God. And one of the ways that we know the Bible is the word of God, especially when we look at the old covenant, so to speak, the old te- Testament is the fact that these prophecies happen. And that's why we still have the writings today. That's why they were proven as the true prophet of God when the rest of them right. were proven as the false that's prophet right. of God. That's right. For instance, Hananiah in Jeremiah chapter 28, 29 saying, no, nah, we're not going to Babylonian captivity. God wouldn't let us go through that kind of tribulation. He wouldn't let us suffer. He's basically saying that. And uh, he was way out there. And his writings, and they're only preserved in Scripture, his words, I should say, because Jeremiah was shown to be true. Let God be true. And every man a liar. Let's stick to the word of God, brothers and sisters. Don't doubt his word, man. Dive into it and come out of it refreshed and strengthened and empowered and walk by the light of it into that eternal day when the, the, the morning star, the bright morning star, the Lord Jesus Christ, appears in our hearts at the second coming. Love you guys. We, Chad and I bear you, bid you a blessed week. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We love you. God bless. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.